You're listening to the No Fucks Given Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Knight, author of the No Fucks Given Guides, a series of self-help books for people like me who hate being told what to do. Just like the books, the podcast is fun, sweary, and full of tips and techniques for giving fewer, better fucks and living your best life. Let's get to it. First of all, I just want to thank you so much for listening. We are two months in now to the No Fucks Given podcast, and I'm thrilled that so many people are tuning in and finding some help and entertainment in my sweary little show. Uh, This week is actually a special episode. It's my monthly You Asked For It audio advice column, where I take listener questions and give my best, no-nonsense, No Fucks Given answers. I've had a lot of great questions coming through, especially since the first one of these aired in episode four, and I am trying for variety each month. So if you haven't heard your question yet, that doesn't mean that it won't be coming. I'm just trying to mix up the subjects that I cover each time I do a You Asked For It, so stay tuned. And today, what's coming up is silencing your inner critic, not feeling bad about charging for your expertise. A question on dealing with family disapproval about your life choices, caring about your grades too much, aggressive huggers, and dealing with a partner's anxiety. Now, there's still going to be an NFG tip of the week at the end of the show, like I always do, but for now, let's get started with You Asked For It. Here's a question I got from a self-identified longtime reader of the No Fucks Given Guides and OG listener to the podcast. It says, I have pretty low self-esteem and have a very strong inner critic. Any advice for silencing my inner critic? First of all, I'm sorry to hear that. God knows the outside world is putting enough pressure on all of us. We don't need it coming from inside our own heads. Um, And this is a big part of my third book, You Do You, which is all about accepting yourself for who you are and turning your flaws, or what other people try to tell you are flaws, into strengths. I call it mental redecorating. It's sort of feng shui with a side of fuck that shit. So it works like this. If your inner critic is assailing you with, um, you know, mean shit, thoughts that are telling you that you're too much this, not enough that, things that maybe other people have said about you that have stuck, or things that you're just thinking about yourself that are really uncharitable. I think that a good way to look at it is to refresh those thoughts and the inside of your head the same way that you would refresh um, an eyesore in your house that you were tired of looking at and that wasn't serving you well. So, you know, it's a little bit rewiring, it's a little bit repainting, and mental redecorating can just take all the stuff that's there, the same way that feng shui does, but rearrange it in a way that works better for you, that flows better for you. Um, So one example is, you know, maybe your inner critic is saying that you're indecisive. And maybe that's because one time, a long time ago, or maybe yesterday, somebody told you that, God, you can never make up your mind. What's your problem? Why can't you make a decision? And so your inner critic has just taken that and run with it. So what you can do is a little mental redecorating. You can say, I'm not indecisive. I'm thoughtful. I'm careful. I want to make the right decision. And that's a good thing. And, you know, you need to speak up to your inner critic before you can ever have hopes of silencing your inner critic. I want you to try standing up to yourself the same way that you would stand up for yourself. If somebody else was accusing you of being indecisive and you could say, no, 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 hold up. 
I'm just being thoughtful. I'm being careful. I want to make sure I make the right decision. Because you know who's never going to make a decision, right or wrong? A person who's too busy beating themselves up over being indecisive. Don't beat yourself up. Accept that this is who you are, a careful, thoughtful person who likes to think things through before they make a decision. And run with that. Like, that's what makes you, you. Mentally redecorate that shit. You know, let's not let your inner critic win, shall we? Um, Let's prove them wrong. I fucking love proving people wrong. And if your inner critic is telling you that you're not enough, you know, you're not smart enough or talented enough or brave enough to do something, that pretty well ensures that you're never going to do it. And then they're just going to be right. So let's prove your inner critic wrong by standing up to yourself the same way you would stand up for yourself and give that mental redecorating a shot. Okay, I hope that first answer was helpful. I certainly appreciate a longtime reader and an OG listener. And one more thing I'll just say about that whole issue of silencing your inner critic is that it gets easier the more you do it. So the more that you stand up for yourself, the better you're going to feel because you're going to be able to go off and do the things that you were tricking yourself into thinking that you couldn't do, and you're probably going to succeed at them. And that's going to make you feel good, and it's going to make that inner critic get quieter and smaller uh, and just sort of recede into the back of your mental barn more and more every time you do it. All right, moving on to the second question this episode. This comes from someone who has been giving too many fucks about the fact that they want to start charging for their expertise and they're worried that people are going to react badly when they say, I'm sorry, there is now a fee for the advice and information that I used to give you for free. And specifically, this person says, I've been giving too many fucks about people wanting to pick my brain and not knowing how to say no. Okay, well, I'm going to start by taking it all back to the fuck budget. Uh, Remember that giving a fuck is to care about something and then giving your fucks in the form of your time, energy, and money to that thing. So in this case, you want to start your, uh, your business and you're giving too many fucks in the form of your time and energy to worrying about how people are going to react for, you know, charging for your expertise And you are depleting the money aspect of your fuck budget because you're not charging for your expertise. So this is a classic situation of balancing your fuck budget and setting some boundaries and being able to say no. And I should just note that this advice is going to be the same for anybody who is already in their business, in their chosen field, and trying to charge for their hard-won knowledge and expertise. It doesn't matter if you're worried about starting uh, a business. If you're already in it, you may be facing the same issues as this questioner. So I have a few ways around this one. All of it comes back to not giving a fuck about what other people think. You can only control your own behavior, not other people's reactions. So you might be inventing some of this in your head as a reason not to pursue your business plan. Or if you're already in this business and you're getting these reactions, whose problem is it really? You know, is this your problem for valuing your time, energy, and money appropriately? Or is it someone else's problem for trying to get something for nothing? I actually wrote a whole section in my book, Fuck No, called uh, Hey, Can I Pick Your Brain? And, you know, I've 
obviously been on the receiving end of requests for advice, not just the ones that I solicit on the podcast. But for example, I was a publishing industry professional for 15 years. And, you know, people always want to know, how do I write a book? How do I sell a book? How do I get a literary agent? What do I do to market my book? Um, You know, it comes with the territory. You're a professional. And so people look to you to answer their questions about the profession you're in. But one day I was actually I was speaking at the Book Expo in Los Angeles and I was in the restroom and I came out of the stall and this lady that had been in the audience came up to me and started pitching me her novel like on my way to wash my hands in a bathroom in the Staples Center. Um, And I wish I had been a little bit more self-possessed at the time. Uh, So hopefully I can give you some advice, which the number one is know before you go. And basically what this means is spend 10 minutes now preparing yourself mentally with a response. It can be just a go-to response whenever you are in the situation, whether it's in, you know, a bathroom in the Staples Center or in the lobby of your doctor's office or at your sister's next dinner party, when you know that somebody is going to ask you for something that is just really beyond the bounds of your fuck budget to deliver to them. Um, have your response ready. It's kind of like a politician who has a stump speech. They give the same speech everywhere. It's just to a different audience. Nobody's going to know that this is your go-to, but just think about it. Do you want to be kind of casual about it? Do you want to try to make it funny? Do you want to be just really concise? Whatever response works best for you, work it out in your own head ahead of time so you have that no and whatever justification for it you do or do not feel you have to share, um, and you can just deploy it whenever you need to. And that takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. It just keeps you from being on the spot, which is one of the things that's hardest about uh, saying no in the moment. And it also just gets you more comfortable with your response and your reasoning if you have one that you can kind of trot out uh, in any given situation. Again, you could decide that you're going to make it funny. You know, you could respond, ha, You don't want to know how much I charge for that. Um, You could make it simply about time. I really wish I could help, but I am spending all of my time drumming up paying gigs right now. I'm going to have to pass. You could decide that every time you say no, you're offering an alternate solution. This is something that I do a lot when people ask if I can read their manuscript and give them notes, which is something that I did for a living for 15 years, and I know how long it takes. It's not a small ask, and maybe they don't even realize that it's a super big ask. But if I can't do it, I will often say, look, I have this list of freelance editors. I'm sure one of them would be a great fit for you uh, and they could evaluate your book, you know, for a fee. And that explains to the person that I'm saying no to not only why I can't do it, but the fact that this is a service that they should expect to pay for, which is my little way of kind of doing right for my fellow freelance editors out there. Um, you know, and and it may be that they just weren't thinking about the fact that they ought to be offering compensation for this level of of time and energy and expertise. And, you know, when all else fails, I am not above responding. Have you considered Googling it? Okay, I just want to take a second here to say that if you are liking today's show and you want more advice from me to you, you can send your questions to podcast at nofucksgivenguides.com or fill out the form on my website, nofucksgivenguides.com slash podcast. There's a form where you can put in your you asked for it question 
Um, I will get them all. I read them all. I get to as many as I can each month. And like I said, I try to give a variety. So if you don't hear your question this week or you don't hear it next month, that doesn't mean I won't answer it down the line. At nofucksgivenguides.com, you can also get the show notes and downloads for stuff that I might mention on the podcast and all of the information you could possibly want about my books and the whole No Fucks Given universe. You can also listen to the other episodes of the podcast that are not advice columns to see what else I do over here on No Fucks Given with Sarah Knight. Uh, For now, though, moving on to our next question in this week's audio advice column, you asked for it. This one is near to my own heart since I moved abroad six years ago and have encountered similar worries with regard to my own and my husband's family. I'm going to change a couple of identifying details in the question here just so I don't blow up anybody's spot, but here it is. I'm an expat living in Ireland, and I originally come from a small country in Europe. I came to Ireland to study for my undergrad, but it's been eight years and I'm still here and happily engaged to another expat from a totally different country. I'm the only child in my family, and my mother has been dropping not-so-subtle hints that I should pack up and move home. Every time I call, this manages to sneak into the conversation, and I've told her that I have no plans to move anytime soon. How do I stop giving a fuck that she gives a fuck? And what if I decide I want to move to a totally different country one day? How would I navigate the tsunami of fucks that everyone in my family will give about the fact that I'm willing to move but not back home? Okay, first of all, props to you for the phrase tsunami of fucks. This came in the original question. I did not make that up, guys, and that is a good one. Um, Second thing, it's your life. How are you going to live it? I basically only see my parents once or maybe twice a year since I moved to a foreign country. And I know that that they wish that they saw me more. And, uh, and I wish I saw them more too, but it's not easy. It's not convenient. There's a lot of obstacles in the way, and it's not really in my budget right now, um, you know, time, energy, or money-wise to be going back and forth uh, on international flights all the time just to give them what they want. And they understand that. They've been very good about it. But I do get that, you know, Nobody's getting any younger here, and your mom really wants what she wants. She wants to have you in her life more, and particularly if you're an only child, uh, then, you know, I I do understand where she's coming from. But that said, shouldn't she also want you to be happy? And so if this question is coming up regularly and it's giving you these pangs of guilt and it's making you unable to stop giving a fuck – You know, maybe a way to stop having the conversation with your mother is to say, hey, just so you know, I hear you. I am listening. And I know that every time we talk, you have, uh, you know, thoughts about me moving back and you want to express them to me. And I feel the love. But you should probably also know that every time you push me on this, it reactivates these feelings of guilt and worry and I spend all this time worrying that I'm upsetting you or disappointing you and it doesn't make me look forward to the conversations. So I'm really hoping that you will hear me when I say to you, I don't have any plans of moving back home anytime soon. That's not 
in my priorities right now. I understand that you want me to be there. I appreciate it and I love you, but it's not going to happen. And so every time you bring it up, I feel like it's making things worse and putting a bigger gulf between us than we have to have. So maybe in the future, when you think about pushing me on moving back home, you could also think about the fact that that's not really helping our relationship, and I'd love to have the best possible relationship that we can have uh, at a distance so that, you know, when we are together, we can enjoy the fuck out of it. Uh, well, maybe don't say that to your mom, but you know what I mean. And in terms of that future potential tsunami of fucks that your family may or may not give if you decide to move somewhere totally different that's not home and not where you currently live and maybe not even where your expat partner is from, you know, I'll say cross that bridge when you come to it, but hopefully all the advice that I've already given is going to come into play there too. This is your life. You're entitled to live it in the way that's best for you. And you can only control your own behavior. You can set your boundaries and you can enforce them with love. And if other people can't hack it, it's really their problem, not yours. Okay, next question. This one is for all my perfectionists. The listener writes to me, It was amazing to discover how much relief I can get from simply deciding not to give a fuck about certain things and then not giving a fuck about them. However, I discovered that I just can't stop giving too many fucks about my grades. Specifically, I'm in college, I'm a straight-A student, always have been, and I care way too much about assignments and exams. It sort of became part of my personality. More than half of the subjects I learn at college won't even help me in my desired career, so I really want to stop giving a fuck about my grades. Any tips on how to make this easier? For the sake of everybody listening, I want to come at this question both from the specific point of view of the grades issue and then also a larger uh, point of view about being a perfectionist in general. So in terms of the grades, I am speaking to you as someone who totally gets it. I was a straight A student all through junior high and high school, you know, and those grades, that GPA are part of what helped me get into a really good college. I went to Harvard. Um, I was really proud of that. And, you know, I got there and I was suddenly a small fish in a very big pond and things were a lot harder for me than they used to be. And I did not get straight A's in college. Uh, but I freaked out about it for at least the first year, if not more. You know, I was just beating myself up all the time about not being able to perform to that level that I had been expecting of myself. And that, as you said, had really become part of my personality over the first, you know, two decades of my life. So... A thing that I hope will help anybody who is in this situation uh, with the perspective of someone who is now 20 plus years beyond this situation is this. With the exception of a very few careers that require postgraduate study and for which you need a really good GPA to get into the graduate school program of your choice, um, or industries that are incredibly selective about hiring to the point where they actually pay attention to GPAs, it is not going to matter. Um, it definitely does not matter that I squeaked by with some C pluses in some courses that have absolutely nothing to do not only with my declared major, uh, but with anything I did in my career. I'm pretty sure 
that nobody has ever looked at my college transcripts. Um, Maybe I put my GPA on my first resume that I sent out, you know, the first summer after I had graduated from college, but maybe I didn't. I certainly don't remember my GPA, and I don't think that anybody is going to care. And uh, now's the time for any proud parents out there to maybe cover their ears because she asked for it, and I am just telling it like it is. I don't think that it is worth ruining your college experience for or dipping into your mental health fuck budget for these perfect grades that aren't uh, going to mean much. You already said in your question that they don't really have anything to do with what you intend to do with your life career-wise. And it's just, you know, I've been there, I've done that, and I wish that somebody had told me back in the day that it really wasn't going to matter, that I should work on enjoying myself and using that excess time and energy to pursue other things that were available to me in college and just, you know, not putting so much pressure on myself to get those perfect grades. Um, But also just aside from the specific issue of grades, one thing that I realized after a long time of torturing myself uh, is that if I hadn't put so much pressure on myself to succeed at the highest level at everything I did, it wouldn't have been so crushing to come up short. And the fact is you are going to come up short sometimes. You are going to fail at things. Uh, Things are going to not go your way. And if you have built up this identity as someone who just rocks every fucking thing they do, then it is going to hurt you so much more when you don't rock it. So whether we're talking about grades or we're talking about promotions or making money or winning sports, um, just know that the perils of putting all of that pressure on yourself to be perfect uh, can result in things being so much worse for you when they don't turn out exactly the way you wanted or planned or expected. And I've talked in this podcast before and in my books about setting realistic goals. You know, you might be a lifelong perfectionist overachiever, but I am here to tell you that someday that is not going to work out so well for you and you're going to fall so much further than you needed to if you had just been working on setting more realistic goals all along. Something I like to point out is that, you know, Olympic athletes who are the epitome of their chosen uh, field, whether it's diving or or gymnastics or figure skating or speed skating, um, they are in pursuit of perfection. You know, a gymnast is looking for that perfect 10. And by the way, don't at me. I realize that's not exactly how they score gymnastics anymore, but you're going to get the metaphor regardless. They're in pursuit of that perfect 10, and they almost never get it. And yet, Somebody wins a gold medal, and they win it often without a perfect 10. So if an Olympic gymnast can do it, so can you. Set your expectations more realistically, and your life is just going to be better for it. Moving on to another question that is about setting boundaries, something that I've talked about before, but in a very specific way. This person writes, I have trouble saying a polite no to friends or family who want to hug me as a greeting or goodbye. I explain that it aggravates my neck injury, but I still get a weird look. How do I politely say back the fuck off and set boundaries without offending anyone? 
Well, I'm going to just say this once and loud and clear. You do not need to justify your desire not to be hugged or touched in any way by another person. If you don't want to be hugged, they shouldn't be hugging you. And this is where I'm going to break my rule about trying to be polite. If you have told people that you don't want to be hugged and you've given them a reason and they're still doing it, then you do not need to be polite. You can literally say, hey, back the fuck off. I asked you not to hug me. And that is just fine. And frankly, I don't really care and neither should you about whether their feelings get hurt. And I'm going to take this opportunity to tell a quick personal story. I am not a hugger. I never really have been. My, my family wasn't big on hugging, and I'm just not a hugger. So many years ago, my brother uh, was dating someone who he brought home to, you know, to meet the family. And we spent a couple of days with her. And when she was leaving, she was going around the room hugging everybody. You know, my parents were there. And actually, my husband was there because he's been around for a long time. And I was sitting in a chair and I just kind of looked up at her and said, you know, not much of a hugger and left it at that. And I got shit for it back then. And I actually still get shit for it. And I don't care. Like, I'm not a hugger. I didn't want to hug her. She was handing out hugs and I didn't want one. And it's perfectly fine. You know, I thought I was actually pretty polite about it. And in the end, I just I don't care. I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. I didn't want to be hugged. I asked not to be hugged. I indicated my preference for not being hugged. And that was that. And, you know, just as a postscript, my brother went on to meet and marry a totally different girl who became my much-loved sister-in-law, and I don't hug her either, and it's fine. We're fine. So, once more, with feeling, I think you should say whatever you need to say to get people to stop touching you when you don't want to be touched. Up to and including, back the fuck off. Okay, I think I have room for one more, uh, and then I'm going to give you a sneak peek of next week, which is actually kind of based on a question that I didn't get around to answering today that I think needs a whole episode. But for now, the last question of the audio advice column is this. I've been with my boyfriend going on four years now, and before the year 2020, I never truly realized how much he suffers from anxiety. Given the crazy events this past year, he's been experiencing some depression on top of that anxiety. And my question is, how can I support him through this? We've run into some problems regarding my need for connection and his need for autonomy. Any tips on what I can do as a partner to help ease this pain that I sometimes cannot relate to? Okay, well, first, I want to say that the fact that you're even asking this question is so fabulous, and the fact that you're trusting me to give you an answer is just a real honor and a privilege to be able to talk candidly about mental health issues and mental illness, and I will do my best to give you some good advice. I'll start by saying that I suffer from clinical anxiety, and um, I've been with my husband for over 20 years, but it wasn't until about halfway into our relationship that I really uh, started to understand what was going on with me, and, and therefore that he was able to even have a chance at understanding what was going on with me. So believe me when I say I know that this is rough territory, and uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't easy and it wasn't fun, uh, but we figured it out. We worked it out together, and I'm sure that you can too, particularly, as I said, because you are already a partner who cares so much and is so self-aware to understand that you don't really know exactly what he's going through and that this is different than the sort of general stress uh, and, and sadness and fear and worry 
and anxiety that people are feeling as a result of everything that happened in 2020 and is still happening. Um, if you think that he is suffering from real capital A anxiety and also possibly depression, you know, the first thing to understand as a partner is that that's different than just being sad or worried. You know, it's a real it's a real bitch uh, mental illness. So it's great that you are trying to help. And my first piece of advice would be to listen. Just listen. I know certainly that when I'm in the throes of my anxiety, the worst thing anybody can do is try to solve it for me in the moment. You know, I fucking hate it when somebody tells me that everything is going to be okay or that, you know, it's not as bad as I think it is. In the moment, that is not something you want to say to somebody who is suffering from debilitating anxiety. You know, listen to what they have to say. Listen to them vent. Maybe you think it's venting, but maybe for them it's just really trying to figure out what's going on in their own head out loud. Um, and again, they're lucky to have somebody there who is capable of listening and who is willing to just listen first, um, offer solutions much, much later. Although, to be clear, don't wait if you think that he is in any way uh, in danger, a danger to himself. Um, certainly call in the pros long before that. But generally speaking, I would say, and again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a licensed therapist, I'm just a person who suffers from anxiety, who has spent the last 10 years or so figuring it out, uh, listening to advice, acting on that advice, and uh, I know what works for me, so I use my books and this podcast as an opportunity to share that with other people. Um, and, you know, I hope that some of it resonates. I'll definitely be talking about anxiety on a few more episodes as we go into season one of the No Fucks Given podcast. But in answer to your specific question about how you can help ease the pain of a partner who's experiencing something that you don't necessarily truly understand, the first thing is just to listen to them and not try to jump in and solve the problems or act like you do know what's going on with them when you've already you already are pretty sure that you don't. Um, just listen. The second thing is to be willing to float the idea of him talking to a professional. Like I said, you know, I'm on the other end of it, and I can tell you that it was a really good thing for me, uh, but it was also something that I resisted for a long time. So I would understand if he were resistant. But if you are willing to suggest the idea uh, to float the topic of him talking to somebody who, you know, is medically uh, accredited and and uh, who knows exactly what they're talking about, it's going to alleviate a lot of the burden on you. And it's also just going to remove that part of your relationship dynamic so that he has, you know, somewhere else that he can express his anxiety and you don't have to worry that you weren't enough, you know, that you didn't know what to do. Uh, you'll know that somebody else is taking care of it, which will be helpful for you too. And just so you know, I have recorded and re-recorded my answer to this question a few times now because I want to get it right because this is so important. And what I'm trying to do is remember where I was when I first was feeling the effects of my anxiety when I didn't know what it was. And I'm trying to remember what was happening with my husband when he was feeling so helpless um, to be able to reach me and to know why I was feeling the way I was feeling and how to fix it and just try to take that experience and distill it into a couple minutes on a sweary podcast 
to help somebody like you who, you know, is really trying and to help someone like your boyfriend who may or may not ever hear any of this advice. Um, I want to get it right, but there also isn't a one-size-fits-all solution for anxiety and mental illness. So I would say listen. I would say be prepared to float the idea of him talking to a professional. And then finally, to your point about how your needs are conflicting right now because he says he wants what you call autonomy and you are craving connection. You know, I don't know if that means he's asking you to be to be left alone, you know, if he's just pushing you away and you want to be connected. But I have been there too. And my poor long-suffering husband has been there too. And if you can work it out and stick it out, then you can be on the other end of it. And it doesn't have to be like this forever. And it's really great that you're willing to kind of, you know, put your own needs on the back burner for a little while to get him up to speed. That's really what relationships are all about is kind of trading off between the good times and the hard times and being each other's rock, uh, you know, and just switching back and forth until hopefully you manage to have a long stretch there where you're both feeling pretty good. But I hope this has been helpful. Like I said, it's making me nervous just to uh, just to be responsible for giving you this advice. And I really do hope that it helps. And I'm glad that you wrote to me. Okay, so that is the final you asked for it uh, question today for the audio advice column for this week. And um, I'll be coming back in another month with another round of you asked for it. I want to tell you what's coming up next week. It's actually the result of a question I didn't get to that I think requires a full episode's worth of, uh, of talk. And I'm going to do the NFG tip of the week. Um, but first, I just wanted to recap what we went over today. I got to questions involving increasing your self-esteem and silencing your inner critic. Uh, we talked about not feeling bad about charging for your expertise and being aware of the brain pickers out there, um, dealing with family disapproval or even just disappointment about your life choices. Shout out to my fellow expats. Um, talked about caring about your grades too much, but also just perfectionism and its insidious hold on your life. So I hope that my fellow perfectionists out there, I call myself a recovering perfectionist now. I hope that you got some good advice on that front. Um, we talked about aggressive huggers, fuck those people, and dealing with a partner's anxiety. Uh, the question I did not get to involves work email. So again, I'll talk about that, give you a little sneak peek of what's to come next week. But first, the NFG tip of the week. Today's tip is flip the script. Okay, many of my answers in the advice column today have involved a shift in mindset, proving your inner critic wrong, asking your parents if they want you to be happy, explaining to free advice seekers that you would gladly compensate them for their expertise and you need to ask for the same courtesy. So you need to get off of defense and play offense. Lots of the time, you can talk yourself out of ridiculous, extraneous fuck-giving by asking what you would expect of someone else in this situation and what you would accept from them as an answer. This is a really good way to get through all of that self-inflicted guilt that you're feeling that's preventing you from doing what you want to do and not doing what you don't want to do. Stop and ask yourself, if the roles were reversed— what would you say and think if the person gave you the answer that you really want to give them? 
You know, would you be an asshole about it or would you totally understand? The answer is probably you would totally understand and it wouldn't be a big deal to just take no for an answer like an adult. So if you flip the script and instead of agonizing over not saying what you want to say, not asserting yourself, not setting and establishing your boundaries because you're so worried about what somebody else might think or how they'll react, ask yourself how you would think or react if the roles were reversed. And if the answer is you'd be fine with it because it's all totally reasonable, then probably they will be too. And flipping the script doesn't just work for conversations inside your own head. It can work for conversations with other people as well. It can be really disarming to mirror someone's request, um, potentially an unreasonable request, back at them. You know, they might not really realize that they are being unreasonable or realize why or that you would object to whatever it is they're asking of you. So you can actually flip the script in the moment with that person and say, hey, I just want to make sure I understand. I just want to make sure we're clear what you're asking. And I, I don't know if you if you quite realize that it's something that I can't give you. And so I just want to ask if you were in my position, do you think you would understand why I can't do this for you? And like I said earlier, that is something you could employ in a situation where your family is disappointed in a decision that you're making for your own health and happiness. Um, and flipping the script is something you can do with aggressive huggers. You could just say, you know, I don't think you would like it if I was trying to touch you in a way that you did not want to be touched. So I'm hoping you understand where I'm coming from. So there you have it. The NFG tip of the week is flip the script. It works on conversations inside your own head and it can work on conversations with other people. Finally, here is what to expect from next week's episode of the No Fucks Given podcast. I had a question that I wanted to get to in the You Asked For It column today and I ran out of time, but I also, I just know that I have so much to say about managing your email that it's going to be worth an entire episode. The question came from somebody who asked for really specific advice on how to manage her work inbox, um, asking if inbox zero was the right thing to aim for or if there was another way to think about it, and telling me that she has very limited inbox capacity, so is getting that inbox full message like once a month, which is insane. I can definitely help you prevent that from happening again. So next week, I'm going to devote a whole episode to learning how to manage your email life, work or personal, it doesn't really matter, uh, without losing your goddamn mind. And until then, I just want to say thank you so much for listening and subscribing and telling your friends. It's been awesome seeing the No Fucks Given podcast move up the Apple charts. Um, if you subscribe, then you will never miss an episode. And if you want your question answered on the next You Asked For It, you can email me podcast at nofucksgivenguides.com or go to my website and fill out the form there. And last but not least, if you liked what you heard today and I could ask you to leave me a quick rating or review on your platform of choice, it really helps with discoverability for the No Fucks Given podcast. And um, I just really appreciate it because it's nice to know that I am not talking into the void. Um, thanks so much again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this month's You Asked For It audio advice column. I'll be back next week with my regularly scheduled No Fucks Given podcast. And until then, I'm Sarah Knight. No fucks given, not sorry. Sorry.